0: everybody, how you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. It's Friday. Happy Friday to y'all. Hope you're ready for a great weekend. It's a spectacular day here in Poway, California, the city and the country. That's where we broadcast from every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two. Hey, today we're going to talk about the reaction to the the changes in the voting law in Georgia. And we're going to talk about the Major League Baseball all start game, moving their their game to Denver. We're going to talk about a lot of other kind of corporate reaction to the change in the voting laws. We're going to talk about integrity. A lot of interesting topics we're going to explore today. But Hey, it's a live stream, right? So that means you can participate in this discussion. Feel free to type in your comments, your questions. I'll read them on the air and we'll have some fun today on a Friday. So all good. You know, for me, this is my day number 3 after my vaccine shot. So I got the Johnson and Johnson shot on Tuesday. And I was with you on Wednesday. I think I told you the, or, or, or on our last podcast on Wednesday that Tuesday night, I woke up in the middle of the night. I felt dizzy, kind of almost drunk um, at, at like one in the morning. But anyways, I got up Wednesday morning. I was fine. And then right before our Wednesday podcast together, I started feeling lightheaded and I was kind of feeling that way through the podcast. And um, so anyways, I got through. Wednesday, yesterday was still kind of achy and not feeling right. But today I feel great and I'm vaccinated and I feel like I'm protected and it's good. So if you haven't gotten your vaccine, I encourage you to do it. Um, it's going to be good for you and it's going to be good for everyone around you. So really pleased. And the Johnson & Johnson one I got, it was, you know, our, our friends at Cal Fire had some places set up. Boy, I set an appointment on I got online on Monday, scheduled it, went there on Tuesday. I was in and out in less than an hour. It went really well. So, anyways, I'm feeling good. I'm kind of back to normal today on Friday. So, um, thanks for joining me. Okay, so let's talk about the Major League Baseball All Star game. And, you know, they, they moved the game from Atlanta, Georgia to Denver, Colorado. And it was all part of the reaction to the, the the change in the voting laws in Georgia. But I just want to say up front, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game is just a great event. It's always been the best All-Star Game of any of the sports. I mean, you know, the NFL has their Pro Bowl after the season, and it's really— you know, not very compelling. The NBA all-star game, the game itself isn't all that great because they don't play defense, but at least they've got the three point shot in the dunk contest, which has made it fun. But MLB all-star game is usually always like a real game and, and it has some integrity and, and the, the, the pregame festivities are great. And then you also have the home run derby, which is fantastic. And they had the Major League Baseball All-Star Game was here in San Diego like three years ago. And, man, the the people here in San Diego, they ran a first-class event. I think it showcased our city remarkably well. That was terrific. Um, And I'm trying to remember the circumstances. Didn't we get that All-Star Game kind of rescheduled from one city to the next? It wasn't something planned in advance. Um, It was more of of a... they had to make a short term decision and and we ended up with it here in San Diego but it all worked out great. Um the other part about the Major League All-Star game, Major League Baseball All-Star game that I really really like is that they typically wear their actual team uniform. They don't wear the you know the National League uniform or the NBA has their LeBron versus, you know, the NBA did it. It was interesting. They used to do East and West and now they have captains and they pick teams, which is clever, kind of like street, street ball, you know, where you get together with your friends and do pickup ball and captains pick teams. But at least Major League Baseball, they wear their actual uniform. And so the home team is wearing their white uniforms and the visiting team is wearing their road jerseys. And so that, to me, that's kind of cool. And you see them all together, you know, it's, it's that's what makes the all-star game really fun. So I'm a big fan of the event. Um, and it's a great, you know, break in between this, you know, kind of splits up the major league baseball season in two. Um, so it's just a cool event. And so I'm really happy that, um, yeah, baseball is back, right? And we're having a regular season now. And so, you know, I'm a big Padre fan. So this year, actually, the Padres might actually have a number of all-stars, um, starters, potentially. Let's hope that works out that way. So. But I know as a child, you know, I grew up as a San Francisco Giants fan and in the 1970s. And the Giants were terrible back then, especially in the mid to late 70s. And every team has to have one all-star representative. And back then, maybe the Giants, when Jack Clark was a rookie, he was really good. And they would never be the starter. The The one Giant on the team was a sub and maybe they get in in the seventh inning. They just have one at bat. I would look forward to it as an 11 or a 12 year old boy. And Jack Clark would just ground out to shortstop. It was just very uneventful. Um, I was always hoping that my home team would do really well in the all-star game. Well, now, you know, the Giants regularly have starters and the Padres, I think, are going to be doing the same thing. So anyways, I'm a big fan of the all-star game. And so when the game moved... When the game moved, it was a very, it's an interesting story. I mean, especially Major League Baseball has had so many controversies in its history. And, you know, both good, bad and ugly. I mean, of course, all the discrimination when it was, you know, essentially banning blacks in its early history. And then Jackie Robinson, you know, Major League Baseball. Brought you know, the Brooklyn Dodgers brought Jackie Robinson into the league, which is a groundbreaking event in equal rights and and um, you know essentially civil rights. It was, it was one of the key moments in the history of getting greater equality in America. That was big, but then other you know as. Baseball has gone on. There's been other, you know, cheating scandals with steroids. There were cheating scandals just in the past few years with sign stealing. Houston Astros were stealing signs. They ended up winning the World Series. A lot of people think that they yeah, that they were cheating through that process. I think it's objectively true that they were cheating. But there's been gambling and, you know, Pete Rose gambled. He got banned from the sport. So baseball has had just such an interesting history with managing its own internal you know, affairs, but they're always in the spotlight. America often looks to baseball to set an example. And then when baseball makes mistakes, when baseball essentially stubs its toe and commits these immoral acts, you hope baseball is going to correct itself. And sometimes they have, and sometimes they've failed to do so. But this time they've decided to move their game to Denver. Now, this has created all kinds of interesting conversation because people are saying, well, I understand why they're moving out of Georgia because they're upset with the voting laws in Georgia, but why would you go to Denver? And then people are complaining about, well, the Colorado voting laws are this and the Georgia voting laws are that. And it's really not that big of a difference. And and again, I'm going to break that down in a moment. But Major League Baseball has kind of, generally speaking, a rotation on how they move their all-star game around. You know, it's rare that one city will get multiple all-star games in a short period of time. In fact, I think San Diego has only had three all-star games in its history. And it's been a baseball team for what, 52 years? And they've only gotten it three times. I think it was once in the 70s, maybe 78. And then another time they got it in the 90s, I think. Was it 98? Or no, it was like ninety three, maybe, and and then of course they got it in twenty sixteen. So they typically have a rotation, and you know because they want to kind of spread the wealth around, and then they usually will give preferential treatment to certain cities if they've just built a, a new stadium, right? So they can make that a big deal, and they kind of reward the owners for kind of improving the sport and building this new stadium, and. So, you know, to a certain degree, this is Georgia, Yuri Bolan on the live stream chiming in 1992. Thank you, Yuri. That was the second All Star game in, in San Diego. Yeah, I know I said '98. That's when they went to the World Series. It was earlier in the 90s. You're absolutely right, Yuri. Um, so, the God, I lost my train of thought here. So, oh yeah, Denver, Denver's only had one um, all-star game and it was in, I looked this one up. Uh It was in 1998. So this is their second time. So it's been like 23 years, right? And there's what, how many baseball teams? There's 30 in MLB. So, you know, you get one about once every 30 years, roughly. So it's 23 years. So it's sort of kind of Denver in the rotation. It's an imperfect rotation. So- I'm sure, you know, it's a last minute or so-called last minute reorganization, a move. Denver was probably available. I know that the people in San Diego lobbied to get the all-star game here, even though we just had it five years ago. Um, but anyways, Denver got it. And it brought up this whole conversation about the voting laws in Georgia and the voting laws in Colorado and the people that I think even the governor of Georgia. What's his last name? Kemp, I think, was saying. Well, what are you doing? You're moving it over to Colorado. They've got more restrictive voting laws than Georgia ha- than Georgia has, and and they've got a voter ID requirement and, and yada yada yada. And then people would. It started this flame war going back and forth. And again, it's it's crazy how this whole thing just gets politicized, but the reality is it's very it's a very big difference between these two states. And I think it's worth pointing out because in Colorado, they really, really embrace mail-in voting. In fact, over 99% of voters in the state of Colorado either vote by mail or they vote by dropping their ballot off at an official ballot drop box prior to election day. So the point is, is that less than 1% of Colorado voters actually go to a polling location on election day and wait in line to go into the polling booth and I don't know fill in the scantron or you know punch the the hole with the hanging chad very few of them actually wait in line now that's very different with than Georgia you know cuz Georgia not only are they limiting how much, you know, making it harder to vote by mail, but they're also limiting the number of places where you can have drop boxes. Um, Because in in Colorado, I guess every voter is mailed a ballot, an official ballot. Now, unlike California, which seemed to mail them to everybody, in Colorado, they just mail them to the voters only. And the voters will Go through it, and then they'll mail it in, or like I said, they'll drop it off at a at a, a official Dropbox. But in Georgia, in order to vote by mail, you have to proactively request a mail-in ballot. Then they shorten the time frame for you to request the mail-in ballot. Um, and so, what they're really trying to do, because in Georgia, they're reacting to the big lie, right? The big lie that there was voter fraud, and. You know the Republicans lost in Georgia, so they're trying to change the rules to help them win. I mean, not unlike what we talked about in the national debt conversation when we talked about Poway Unified School Bonds. They could never pass the bond, and what did they do? They they changed the rule. They lowered the threshold for bonds to fifty five percent, so they could pass it. In in Georgia, the the Republicans lost those two Senate seats. The Republicans lost the electoral college for the presidency. They believe there was tremendous voter fraud, which hasn't really been proven, like not in any significant amount of voter fraud. I mean, there's, of course, there's always, we can call out a few isolated cases, but not some substantive conspiracy that changed the votes or distorted the system to a degree that it changed the outcome of the election. But people still believe it. And so they put forward these laws. And what they're trying to do is, A, make it harder to vote. And B, they want people to show up at the polls on Election Day, which makes it harder for people to vote. Because voting by mail is just so darn convenient. You can vote in the comfort of your own home and then just drop it off in the mail. I mean, what could be easier than that? But in Georgia, they want to limit your ability to vote by mail. They want more people to vote in person. Now, granted, what they're doing is they're expanding the number of in-person days, because in Georgia, you can vote early, you know, and you can vote on weekends. They kind of have a system. And so that's one of the things the Georgia governor was saying is that in Georgia, we can vote in person for 17 days. But in Colorado, they only do 15 days. As though Georgia was really supporting more voting. But. What the difference is is that in Colorado, less than one percent of the people vote in person; ninety-nine point whatever percent vote by mail. Yuri Bolin on the live stream, nineteen sixty Illinois. So now that's the one right where the 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 mob in in um. In Illinois. And then the Daly family, I think, was Mayor Daly, the mayor of Chicago back then, apparently got a bunch of dead people to vote for Kennedy rather than a Nixon. So that's the story we've always heard, right? Did that actually happen? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's been repeated so many times. Maybe it did happen. But that was, gosh, 61 years ago. Now, there's a lot more focus On election integrity these days. And there is, yeah, there's just a lot more transparency. Now, granted, it's not a perfectly transparent system, but the media is a lot more focused on elections. Watchdog organizations are a lot more focused on elections. Election officials are much more forthcoming and transparent. The media is often inside the registrar of voters when they're collecting the ballots. So in 1960, was there that kind of fraud? There might have been. And God, really, back then in 1960, interesting, I guess Illinois was a red state. Now it's solidly blue. That's probably because Chicago has probably grown as a city and the urban areas tend to be more blue. But it's just interesting how in, in Georgia... They've limited, essentially, they're limiting their people's ability to vote. Now, granted, they're making a a few more days open for in-person voting. But even in Georgia, what they've done is they limited the number of drop boxes. I mean, you could vote by mail, but you got to use your ID to mail, which is kind of confusing. But if you drop your ballot at an official drop box location, like we had here in Poway at the postal annex next to Target, They had an official San Diego Registrar of Voters official there, and you could vote and drop your ballot in the official drop box. And the representative was right there next to the box inside the postal annex here in Poway. And that's where I dropped my mail or my ballot off. It worked out great. But in Georgia, they're limiting the number of those official drop boxes. They're reducing the number of those official drop boxes. So again, they want to push more people to wait in line. So then it's more difficult and you got to stand in line forever. And then if you're standing in line and people want to help you out and give you a little food or drink, they say, no, go. Now, that was handled very poorly. In my opinion, they should allow people to provide food or drink as long as they're not campaigning, as they're not like saying, I'll give you a slice of pizza if you vote for my guy. Um, it could have, that could have been handled so much better by the Republicans. But, you know, the narrative got spun and, and, you know, now it looks like they want to, you know, deny food and drink to desperate voters waiting in line. But in the end, Georgia wants to make voting more difficult and Colorado wants to make voting easier. And in my opinion, voting should be easy. I mean, voting is a right, right? Voting should be a right. Voting should be relatively easy. And so, When Major League Baseball, it seems to me that when Major League Baseball chose another location for the all Star game, they were probably driven, number one, not Atlanta. Let's just get out of Georgia. Number two, they're probably thinking, okay, well, if we're going to get out of Georgia, who's next in the rotation, roughly speaking? And then thirdly, let's make sure we pick a state that... Has more open voting laws, and i I'm, I'm guessing major League Baseball prioritized their decision making in that order of criteria and and, sh- and sure enough now it's in Denver. so I'm looking forward to it and there's, the home run Derby in Denver should be something right? man the balls will be just flying out of that stadium. that should be a, that should be a, s- a spectacle when that event happens and it's usually like the second week in July. I always remember the day after the All-Star game, because usually the All-Star break, the All-Star game usually is on a Tuesday, I think. So the Monday is the Home Run Derby day, and then Tuesday is the All-Star game. And then I think the Wednesday of that week is the day off, and then sometimes the Thursday of that week is the day off. But I always remember the Wednesday after the All-Star game, the day after, was the one day in the year that there was no sports of any of the major sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey. None of them were playing on that day. Usually every other day of the year, there's some NBA game, some NHL game, some NFL game, some MLB game, but not that one day after the All-Star game. Um, But... It's very interesting. This is really what I want to get to in this podcast, and we're 20 minutes in. But I want to talk about the reaction from all these corporations, because they're all kind of stepping into and that, they're, and they're making statements about it. And it's just been fascinating to watch how this whole thing rolled out. Now, three corporations that were mostly at the forefront of this were Delta Airlines, and Coca-Cola and UPS, because those are three, you know, monster companies, huge companies that are headquartered in Georgia. And they all came out and made statements that this was unacceptable. This bill, this uh, new law was was immoral, you know, not right. I mean, they, I can't remember their exact language, but they came out and called them out. And I I was reading a little bit. I know that the people at Coca-Cola were kind of getting pushed, by a lot of black act- activists in the state of Georgia. Well, the reaction to that, you know, Donald Trump starts getting his people organized. There, he's saying, "Well, we got to boycott Coca-Cola and Delta and UPS." You know, never mind the fact that President or former President Trump loves Diet Coke, which you know may a culpa. So do I. <laughs> um, but uh, Trump loves Diet Coke, and now he's calling to boycott Coca-Cola. Now, as an aside, do you think Trump is going to follow through on the boycott of Coca-Cola? Is he actually going to do it? I doubt it. I really doubt it. So now he's calling for the boycott of yeah UPS, Coca-Cola, and Delta, all at the same time, kind of demeaning the left-wing progressives for cancel culture. And he wants to boycott them, which is a form of cancel culture. So it just the hypocrisy the the theater i mean it's it's unbelievable so now when, now think about this really when they have a boycott I, have you when was the last successful boycott really i mean how how effective are boycotts i mean rarely i mean it's what usually happens is is that the company will get embarrassed and then change their tune more so than they would actually lose huge amounts of revenue. Um, And there's probably been some cases of that, but generally speaking, boycotts aren't really big deals. But what's interesting is, is that usually companies, when they are boycotted, it's when they've done something immoral, when they've done something that most people consider to be wrong. But in this case, these companies are standing up For something, they're standing up for their values, and this is what makes the whole thing really, really interesting. Because these companies are being brave. I mean, it would be Mr. Pillow. (laughs) Pete kneeled on the live stream, commenting about Mr. Pillow. Are you Are you talking about the um, the Pillow guy? What's that guy's name? Mike Lindell. Where where is he from? By the way, I don't even know. Um, But. These companies are standing up for their values, and I I just, like I said, I think this requires a tremendous amount of risk because it would be just so easy for the companies to say, "Hey, man, I don't want to say anything controversial. I don't want to put myself out there. You know, I don't want to make any enemies with my customers. I just want to kind of keep the money flowing. You know, don't want to get involved in this." And most companies typically do that, and I understand why they. They just want to be apolitical. They want to serve their customers. And they know there's too great of a risk if they take a strong stand because when they take a strong stand, what happens? You get lovers and haters. Now, it's great to have the lovers because they're going to be loyal with you, but the haters are going to drag you down. So it takes a lot of cojones for these companies like Coca Cola and Delta and UPS to come out. Now, it hasn't been just them, there's been more. Home Depot, came out. um, And then so did the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I think the founder of Home Depot owns the Atlanta Falcons or he used to own the Atlanta Falcons. So there's a little connection there. Um, And then I guess Porsche and Pete, you're on the live stream. I read that Porsche cars of North America, which I know is your nemesis. You're a big Corvette guy. But I know Porsche is in a lot of the races that you love to watch and that we saw together at the Long Beach Grand Prix. And we're going to see him in Pahrump in a few weeks. Um, I guess Porsche of North America is in Georgia. Is that where their headquarters is? Well, apparently they came out and called out this law and it's starting a trend, right? And so then we saw not just businesses in Georgia, but then we saw the CEO of JP Morgan, you know Jamie Dimon, who's a pretty famous guy. I remember watching a 60 Minutes piece on him a number of years ago, and he was saying employees span the United States, you know, his J.P. Morgan employees. And as state capitals debate election laws, we believe voting must be accessible and equitable. Like, good on you. Um, And then other companies have been jumping in on this. Uh, Facebook, Viacom, CBS, Citigroup, Cisco, Merck, American Express, Microsoft, all in varying degrees. Their leaders have come out with statements or their corporation has come out with statements condemning the law in varying degrees of severity. But still, it's nice to see. And this moving of the baseball all-star game is not really unprecedented because in 2017, if you remember, the NBA moved their all-star game from Charlotte, North Carolina. I remember where they moved it to. But I remember there was like some discriminatory policies that were passed by the state legislator in North Carolina. I think it might've had to do with gender discrimination issues. Um, I think that's what it was. And it might've, Is it that was back when we were all the arguments about bathrooms and which gender could use which bathroom and where do trans people, which bathroom do they use? And that caused a huge uproar. I think that was the discriminatory law in 2017 that was passed by their state government that caused the NBA to move. And again, good on the NBA. I mean, they took a stand too. So what this all comes down to is the topic of integrity. And that's why I love this. I mean, like what's integrity? I mean, integrity is a loyalty to one's own convictions and values. It's acting in accordance with your own values and rational principles. So, you know, this is basically walking the walk, right? Not just talking the talk, but actually walking the walk, standing up for what you believe in and bravely doing so. And in this case, taking a risk and in, in, in standing by your principles, because That's the hardest thing with principles is to stand for them when there might be huge headwinds against you. And in this case, there are large portions of the populace that are not happy with these companies for standing up for their values. Now, you might say, well, do these companies really have values? I mean, they're just evil corporations, right? They don't really have any values. They're just in it for the money. Well, if they were in it for the money, then they wouldn't say a darn thing. If they were in it for the money, they would just be apolitical. They would, hey, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to rock the boat. Just go with the flow. Just want to keep my customers coming. I'll serve my customers. I don't want to get involved in politics. If if they were just in it for the money, that's what they do. But these companies are, and these are huge corporations and they're they're taking a stand. And I love seeing it. I love seeing it. And it's not that I it's because of this issue and where i land i mean i would love seeing them take stances on on issues where maybe i have a disagreement because at least they have character they're showing integrity so i looked up the mission statements of these companies and it's interesting to read their mission statement and let's see how well it aligns with their actions and delta airlines had a really good one and it says we Delta's employees, customers, and community partners together form a force for positive local and global change dedicated to bettering standards of living and the environment where we and our customers live and work. So, you know, usually companies will make a mission statement. You know, they'll have this committee and people will get together and they'll really craft this perfect mission statement. Maybe you worked at a company where they've done that and then they'll kind of hang it on a wall, on a frame, or they'll get some placards made or some engraved kinds of, uh, you know, showcase material and they sh- they share the mission statement. But then how often do the companies actually stand up for that mission statement and reference it and then live up to what they said they were going to live up to? Well, in the case of Delta, They want to be a force for positive local and global change, bettering standards of living and the environment where we and our customers live and work. So their mission isn't just to fly people around in airplanes. Their mission isn't just to make money. Their mission is to organize their employees, customers, and community partners to form a force for positive local and global change. To me, that's great. So Delta is walking the walk. They're standing up for their mission statement. Now, UPS has another good one, too. UPS says, what we seek to achieve, grow our global business by serving the logistics needs of customers. Okay. Offering excellence and value in all that we do. Okay. Maintain a financially strong company with broad employee ownership that provides a long-term competitive return for shareholders. Okay. That means they want to make money. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Inspire our people and business partners to do their best, offering opportunities for personal development and success. Yeah, right on. And then finally, lead by example as a responsible, caring, and sustainable company making a difference in the communities we serve. That's the line that works here. They want to lead by example as a responsible company, making a difference in the communities they serve. And they're in Georgia, and they certainly serve Georgians. So good on you. Good on you, UPS, for standing up for your values, for showing integrity. That's great. Now, Coca-Cola, their mission statement was kind of weak. Um, Their mission statement was to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness. And to create value and make a difference. So I kind of think of those old Coca-Cola commercials. So I like to teach the whole world to sing in perfect harmony. Remember those? That's back in the 1970s. So, and I know Coca-Cola kind of had to be pushed a bit by the black community to take a stand, but they eventually did and good on them. But then, yeah, Trump wants to boycott Coke, but Trump loves Diet Coke. Trump had. I heard this story. Is this legit? That when he was in the Oval Office at the at his desk, what do they call the desk there? They have a, a, a name for it. It's a historical desk. Um, it was remember in the in the movie uh, National Treasure with Nicolas Cage when they stole the Declaration of Independence. What was the name of the desk? Anyways, I heard that he had a button on the desk, or maybe it was underneath. That would buzz someone and then they would come in with a Diet Coke on a platter. That's funnier than hell. I need one of those buttons. (laughs) The Resolute Desk. That's it. Thank you, Pete Neal on the live stream. Thanks for saving me there. The Resolute Desk. So I guess did Trump had one of those buttons on the Resolute Desk, right? Because it is the Resolute Desk is the desk in the Oval Office. Um, Yeah. Have you seen that movie National Treasure? That's just that's a fun ride. And then, by the way, Nicolas Cage's partner, his associate in that whole thing, his name's Riley. So it's another reason for me to like the movie. Um, But, yeah, I remember they were underneath the Resolute desk and they got some kind of a secret code to open up a a secret door that had a clue in it. It was it was a fun. It was almost like. um, uh, God, what was that? I'm blanking. It was the it was a great book. It was a hugely popular book. Um, And. Tom Hanks starred in the movie and it was about. Ooh, Pete Neal says you can get a copy of the desk for about four thousand eight hundred dollars. I'll get you the catalog. No, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Um, I don't want to get one of those desks. I like minimal desks. I like generally like a table, maybe with one drawer. Just keep it simple. But those really big, ornate desks, those are just not something I dig on. Um, But I just I just love those kind of movies where there's all those kinds of clues. But anyways, I my point in all this is that I love when these companies are standing up for their values, that they're demonstrating integrity. And I think it's cool. And, you know, like a lot of times you'll see Hollywood celebrities and they'll make political statements, especially like at the Oscars and they're getting their their trophy and they'll say, one thing or another that's political. And a lot of people get angry and they'll say, ah, those darn Hollywood types, you know, because they're typically liberal and they're they're making their statements and wish those people would just shut up. I always think to myself, man, good on, good on you. I mean, granted, a lot of these Hollywood celebrities are stand for things that I may not agree with, but I like the fact that they're using their platform, using their celebrity to stand up for what they believe in. Now, granted, I think Hollywood celebrities, there's probably a lot more virtue signaling going on. Alan Adamson on the live stream, but they are sh- destroying Oh, the Da Vinci Code. You, Yuri Bullen, thank you for saving me again. Yeah, it was the Da Vinci Code, was kind of like the uh, national treasure. So good on you. But excuse me, I was reading Alan Adamson's uh, comment. He says, but they are destroying lives of people. Alan, who are you referring to? Are you referring to um, Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines and UPS? Um, interested in your thoughts on that. But when Hollywood celebrities are, are sharing their political views, I'm like, yeah, good on you. And like I said, I think most of it's virtue signaling. For these companies, it's a far greater risk. For the companies, they're trying to service you know, consumers in the United States, consumers, frankly, globally. They're taking a risk, but I think in this case they're betting on the right side. MLB, MLB is destroying the lives of people. Really? Now, yeah, sure. When MLB moved the All Star Game out of Atlanta, yeah, that had an economic impact on the people in Atlanta. And people will say, well, you know, Atlanta is heavily black, and you know, aren't we supposed to be looking out for minorities and? These voting laws, are they, aren't they are they supposed to be discriminatory? I know President Biden calls them Jim Crow version 2.0, which is what Stacey Abrams called it. But yeah, where, well, wherever they move it, they're going to impact the lives of people. But that's kind of the whole point, <laughs> is that by making a stand and they put some economic muscle to it, they're going to make their stand have meaning, have impact, not just necessarily be a virtue signal and they're going to shift their and spend their money where they want to spend their money. And yeah, there's going to be, there's going to, you know, the people in Atlanta are going to lose out on the game and it sucks for them. For a lot of those businesses, they were kind of counting on the game. Yeah. So there, there's definitely innocent people that are harmed by this choice, but there's also innocent people that are rewarded on the other side, but in the end, Major League Baseball—they're taking a big gamble because they're—they're clearly upsetting a lot of people. There's a lot of conservatives that want to boycott baseball, yeah, and and they've—they've they've already been boycotting the NFL because Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, and other NFL players are taking a knee, and then the, we saw that in the NBA as well. It's like a wonder if conservatives are watching any sports at all. So. Now, with the Hollywood celebrities, you know, again, they're very liberal and I'm not. Um, but, you know, good on them. And then the other one you'll hear is like when LeBron James was making a lot of political statements, some people were saying, just shut up and dribble. I'm like, come on, man. You know, LeBron James, I'll give him credit, too. I mean, that dude stands up for what he believes in. He puts his money where his mouth is. Um you know, I mean, he's a hell of a ball player, but I mean, he's a, he's a a great citizen. He's a guy that, you know, makes a difference in his community. He's from Akron, Ohio. He's done a lot there for his community. He's done great things in LA since he's been a Laker and I'm not a Laker fan, but you know, you got to love LeBron. So when LeBron makes political statements, again, he doesn't always say exactly what I believe. Sometimes he says things I don't like, but I'm like, good on you, LeBron yeah I mean he's showing integrity he's standing up for his values for his principles that takes guts and I respect that Yuri ball and hockey so yeah maybe there people are watching hockey our conservative friends it's the Canadians the Canadians and Russians they're the ones that are good at hockey <laughs> um but And then and then Mitch McConnell came out with this whole thing. Remember, Mitch McConnell's the Senate majority leader. And he's another interesting guy. I mean, a lot of people love him. A lot of people really hate him. Um, But Mitch McConnell was saying, um, you know, it's really dumb for these companies to get involved in making these political statements. They really should just kind of get out of it. And. You know, on one level, you know, maybe he's saying it from the perspective of a shareholder, you know, hey, man, just don't rock the boat you're It's better off if you don't make a stand, just kind of let the money keep flowing, you know, but for a politician to say that, it, it really comes off as hypocrisy because these guys are the ones that take so much darn money from the corporations. I mean, I saw a headline online it was it was great, and he said the headline in the article was Mitch McConnell." has no trouble with corporate spe- speech as long as as long as it takes the form of bribery, you know, which kind of goes to, you know, all the campaign finance laws. So and, and yeah, what's interesting is on at that level, those corporations, they play both sides, right? They give money to Republicans, they give money to Democrats. And then those guys typically will pass tax law or regulatory policies, that end up helping those corporations. It's a little bit of quid pro quo. It's a lot of the corruption that's in our system right now. And Mitch doesn't have a problem with that part of it because that's where he can exercise his power. But he doesn't want these other corporations sticking, basically sticking their nose into something he doesn't want them to stick their nose into. So again, I I just think it's, it's really good that these companies are standing up for what they believe in it makes me think about what I do and how I go about my business and not just in my business life, because in my business life, you know, I'm just a, you know, a two man company. So it's not like, you know, I own Coca-Cola and we're making this massive statement to the world, but um, it makes me reflect on, you know, granted, you know, here in my podcast, I take stands on issues all the time, Um, but in my business life, I kind of have that separate. Then I think, should I be a little more outspoken from a business perspective? Maybe I should. I mean, you got to be careful on how you do it. I mean, it's risky, right? But maybe I should in some cases. Now, the other angle to this, which I think is really cool, that I think a lot of people don't really consider, is that this makes a big, big difference for the employees of the company. Um if the employees of the company number 1 are seeing their leadership back up their their mission statement and live their values and show integrity then the employees number 1 are going to have a greater respect for their leaders you know good on those leaders but then if they're standing up for the cause that those employees believe in man there's going to be fierce loyalty between those employees and their 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 bosses their their corporate owners, and it's going to be a great great tool to recruit more employees because people want to work there and I think that's powerful um because in the business world it's hard to find good people i mean there's lots of people you can hire, but to find the really good ones and then to keep them as part of your team is difficult and this sort of integrity is a great way to attract and retain outstanding employees. And I think, now, are these companies thinking in those those terms? They probably are to a degree. I'm sure the HR vice president is whispering in the ear of the CEO, talking about what kind of an impact this makes on the employees and how it changes the culture and the morale of the workforce. That's powerful. So, It's just, it's easy for companies to not take that risk. I mean, they've got to be brave. It's hard to do it. And in the court of public opinion, no one wants to get anyone angry, no one wants to rock the boat or poke the bear. But it's, I just love seeing the bravery. I love the integrity of these companies. And I think it takes a special kind of leader that will stand up for those values. It And it really makes me think more about what I do in my own life. And maybe I would hope this is inspiration for you as, as it is for me, because not even integrity in a corporate perspective, but think about integrity at a personal level. You know, we all aspire to be a good person. Uh, um, we, we, we may have a role model that we aspire to be like. But so often we fail ourselves. So often we say we want to so often we say that we want to be this kind of a person or have this kind of a character. And we will fail ourselves and not live up to our own promises and essentially show lack of integrity in ourselves. That's that's hard. It's hard to deal with. Integrity is difficult. It's one thing to say what you want to be. It's another to do it and to follow through on it, especially when the going gets tough. It's hard. So when I see these companies really standing up for what they believe in, again, I think about it in my own terms that I need to stand up for what I believe in, not even at a business level, not even in a podcast, but just me as I'm going about my business as a regular person. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a flawed person, just like we, humans are flawed by nature. We make mistakes. Sometimes we make big mistakes. But hopefully we learn from it. And then we don't repeat the mistake. And when we see the potential mistake coming, we remember our values. We remember what, we're, what our principles really are. And we stand for them with a firm backbone and make the right choice the next time. Alan Adamson on the live stream says, are the pro China companies being brave? The pro China companies. Who are you referring to? Um, I have a Lenovo ThinkPad right here <laughs> that I use on my podcast. That's a Chinese company. Um, Lenovo. Are you referring to them? Or are you referring to companies here in America like Walmart that import Chinese products? Not sure who you're referring to, Alan. Um I mean, who are the, like I said, some of these other companies that were, in my opinion, brave. Microsoft, Merck. I mean, Merck is a pharmaceutical company. I know pharmaceuticals are made. Some of them are made in China. Um, is Merck one of the pro-China companies? Alan's referring to MLB, Coke, and Delta. MLB, Coke, and Delta are pro-China companies? Really? 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 Major League Baseball doesn't really have any footprint in China of any substance. Now, Major League Baseball does really well, and it has a big impact in the world in Japan and in South Korea. That's why Padres have Yu Darvish and (laughs) ha Kim, but not MLB. Does Coke have a presence in China? No doubt. Coke is worldwide. Delta probably has a presence. Does that mean they are pro-China? They want to fly people around the world. Um, so, you know, are they being, they're being brave. MLB, Coke, and Delta are being extraordinarily brave in this situation. And so are a lot of these other companies. And I, I, again, I just think it's fantastic. And I think it's motivation for ourselves to be better people. Again, it doesn't, I'm not saying that when you see people demonstrate integrity, sometimes they demonstrate integrity and they stick up for their values and you oppose those values. I could think of a lot of cases like that, but I still respect it. I respect that they stick to their guns. It's like Bernie Sanders. Okay, I am not a Bernie Sanders fan. But darn it, that guy sticks to his guns. He sticks to principle and I respect him for it. There are a few issues that Bernie and I maybe have some overlap and share, but 80 percent of what he stands for, I strongly oppose. But I respect him. Elizabeth Warren is another one that's kind of on that general team, but Elizabeth Warren a lot of times violates her own principles and shows a lack of integrity. Bernie is pretty true. I mean, there might be some exceptions, but generally he's pretty true. Alan Adamson says they have training facilities in China. Yeah, they might. Yuri Bolin on the live stream, almost every store would go bankrupt with empty shelves without products from China. Yeah, they would. I think the the um blossoming of the Chinese economy is a great thing. I mean that's I'm I'm not gonna make Alan a happy man when I say that for a couple of reasons. Most importantly, it's we're making worldwide trade, global trade freer. It's we're trending in the direction of free trade. It's not it's not free. I mean, there's still tariffs and a lot of other things, but you roll the clock back 50, 60 years ago, and China was sort of shut off from the rest of the world. China began to embrace incremental amounts of free enterprise and capitalism. And what happened? Over 1 billion, with a B, 1 billion people rose out of abject poverty in China and Southeast Asia since the 1990s, all due to these products being made in China. So capitalism enabled those people to rise up out of poverty. They weren't no longer living on farms, destitute, scraping by, you know, living day to day on what they could muster from their farm. They were actually to develop skills, go to work, generate wealth. And the wealth development, the wealth creation in China is extraordinary. So. There's a lot to learn from that. Now, granted, China has all kinds of other problems. I mean, by no means am I a a fan of, you know, I mean, there's like literally like there's slavery there. There's um, oppression of human rights. Um, We can go down the list. There's a lot of problems with China, too. But they've done some things well. And and then as Americans, we benefit from that. We're getting better quality products at lower prices. Clothing is so much less expensive. Is being made in China and other Asian nations. It's unbelievable. Um, consumer electronics is so much less expensive being made mostly in Asia. Televisions are unbelievably better and cheaper than they've ever been. So as Americans, we benefit from those imported products. And the great thing is, is that when we buy these less expensive imported products, it leaves more money left over in our wallet that we can go spend and invest In other parts of the American economy. So I think free trade is just a great thing. I'm kind of on my soapbox a little bit on that. Um, Adam Adelson says, but their values supposedly do not match China's. Yeah, they don't. So, you know, again, these companies aren't perfect. You know, they might say doing business in China violates our principles. Yeah. And they're not perfect. They're going to pick and choose where they're going to exercise their values and demonstrate integrity, because they still have other objectives in their mission statement. <laughs> so, there, it's it's a it's it's not a perfect system. And yeah, some of these companies are going to be hip, hypocritical to a degree. I understand that. It's all about money, and yeah, a lot of times it is all about money. These companies, though, sometimes are taking calculated risks that they may lose money. That could happen. There's a downside to this too. If it was was strictly all about money, they would have kept their mouths shut and not said a damn thing. But they demonstrated integrity and they, they, they made a point. Alan Adamson says, I got to visit Beijing. I was shocked at what I saw. What did you see in Beijing? I'm interested to learn. Pete Neal says Delta is flying four flights per week to Shanghai right now. Other U.S. airlines, United, American, and Hawaiian, equally equally merger flight count? Most flights between U.S. and China are ROW. What does that mean? (laughs) I don't know the acronym, Pete. Um, So doing business with China... It's funny, we're kind of off on a little bit of a tangent here. Uh, China wasn't really the focal point of this conversation. It's really mostly about integrity. Um, yeah, doing a business with China is tricky, right? But really, really, Amer- American companies aren't doing business with China. Companies, I mean, countries don't do business with countries. People trade with people. Companies trade with companies. So, but yeah, it's tricky. Sometimes government policies get in the way. Sometimes there are blockades, embargoes that prevent people from doing business in those countries. We've seen that like in Iran and Russia and a couple of other nations where Americans have American government has prevented American companies from doing business with those those companies with those companies in those countries. Other times, there's trade policies and tariffs that thwart or slow down or diminish the amount of trade that companies do. But it's hard. Alan Adams says, "No freedom, no freedom." The people are scared to death of the government. Yeah, I, I get that. China is is got some good and then a lot of bad in terms of how their government does business. Yeah. It's it's a non-perfect system. Do you think we should just boycott China? I think it's a fair point to say that if products are known to be made by slave labor, those products shouldn't simply just be boycotted. I, I think there there should be a prevention of those products being imported to the United States if it's proven that they're made with slave labor because that violates what America is supposed to be all about our inalienable rights of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness slavery is a direct violation of that to me that makes sense but a lot of companies are developing products in China but it's not slave labor they're getting paid in fact, they're getting paid a wage that was far greater that they earned when they lived on a farm in the remote areas of China. For so many people, their, their lives have dramatically improved because of global trade. Uh, rest of the world. So R-O-W, rest of the world. So most flights between U.S. and China are rest of the world. Lucas Factor says, is Poway still country town, in your opinion? I say no, not anymore. Just fake cowboy hats. (laughs) Okay, now we're all over the place in this discussion. This is fun. Okay, so I'm going to get to your point, Lucas. I just want to just say this. I I just think it's great when companies are brave and they stand up for their values because it's so rare. Right. It's just so easy for these companies to not say a word. And and maybe in Alan's, uh, you know, from Alan's perspective, they, they, they should just they fly to China and they're doing business with some evil empire. It's easy for companies to do that. It's easy for companies to look the other way just because of the almighty dollar. But when companies take a stand. Whether you agree with the stand or not, I just think that's cool. I just think that takes a lot of cojones to to step up to the plate and really say, this is what we stand for. This is what we're gonna plant our where we're gonna plant our flag. And they want their customers and their employees to rally around them. And boy, they can build some fierce loyalty. If they do it right, they could benefit financially from this, even though they might lose some money with the haters. They might win far more money with the lovers. But it's still a huge gamble. And I I respect the fact that they're willing to, to make that gamble. But yeah, I don't know. We got sidetracked on China. Al- Alan, thanks for taking us to China. <laughs> it's all good. Um, Lucas, let me answer your question. Is Poway still country town in your opinion? I say no, not anymore. Just fake cowboy hats. You know, for those of you listening or watching on here on the live stream, I live in the city of Poway, California, 92064. We're a suburb of San Diego County, and a lot of our listeners and viewers are from Poway. Um, Poway's motto is "The city in the country." And the answer to your question, Lucas, no. <laughs> Poway is not a country town anymore. when I moved here in 1994, it wasn't a country town then either. Um, it might've been a country town, you know, certainly in the early part of the 20th century, it may have even been a country town in the fifties and sixties and seventies. In fact, a guy that I do business grew up here in Poway and he would tell me stories of how, I think he lived somewhere off of Fra- uh, like F- frame road or, you know, off of Palmerado road and, in that neighborhood. And he said he would ride his dirt bike to other parts of the city because there were trails and people rode motorcycles everywhere. There was much bigger ranches, a lot more agriculture, a lot more um, livestock. And it was legit a city in the country, but it's not anymore. There's been so much development in Poway and now they're building more now, but we cling to that old title. If you happen to be the mayor of our town, you know Steve Voss loves to wear a cowboy hat and he's a country singer and the cowboy hat plays well in a city that likes to express their country roots. It's a good match, actually, from a marketing perspective for Voss, um, whether you love them or hate them. Um, but I don't think Poway's a country town, not at all, not anymore. But, but people still love that, that phrase. Um, Pete kneeled on the live stream talking to Alan, a little conversation going on between our listeners and viewers. Pete Neal says, Alan, when I was doing business in China, post-Nixon era, I was impressed by the number of times I heard the expression, maybe I think. Is that still used to protect their viewpoints with a hypothetical premise? Um, Pete, I remember you and I talked about that in a podcast. People would never express their specific opinion because they always felt like someone was listening or someone was watching, especially from the government, and they could get in trouble. And they would say, maybe I think to create that that sort of false hypothetical. Yuri Bolin says the city and the country will be back when the concrete cowboy is gone. Hi, Lucas. Well, I don't know, uh, Yuri. I know you have political aspirations, but how do you unwind um, all this development? Not just the recent development on Poway Road, but just the development that's happened in the last four decades. I mean, how do you unwind that? Um, that's I I don't know I just think city in the country is a, is a feel good saying but it no longer matches reality and and probably never will match reality in our future. Um, Lucas says um, Lot was country in the '90s. Sorry, I rode my dirt bike and off road and and hunted. Then we look like Mira Mesa on Poway Road now. Is there an Amazon and and there is an Amazon in Poway? So much for mom and pop shops. Okay. Yeah, I was here in the 90s and but I mean how much significant new development has there been since the 1990s? The house that I lived in on Garden Road was built in 1989. Um is on the eastern end of Garden Road. Uh other parts of like North Poway, a lot of that was developed in the 80s, maybe some in the 90s. Most of the area in in the traditional kind of older section of Poway, um, kind of south of Twin Peaks. There hasn't been that much development south of Twin Peaks since the 1990s, has there? I mean, there's been a few isolated cases, but not a lot. Um, but yeah, parts of Poway Road, yeah, there's some similarity in Mira Mesa, but that's all part of the the growth in the population in San Diego County. My God. I mean, how many more people live in San Diego County now than they did in the 1990s or the 1970s. I mean, it's dramatically different. The County is more than double in, in population since the 1970s. These people got to live somewhere. That's why we have a housing crisis. That's why housing is so darn expensive. There's not enough supply. So you limit supply. I have huge demand. Prices go up. Um, so, and again, I know there's a lot of opposition to the, the development along Poway Road. Lucas Factor said, his roots are not Poway and not country. My opinion. Talking about our mayor, Mayor Voss. Um, Lucas goes on to say, um, you, the preserve, the wide open spaces that we currently have. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some wide open spaces in Poway. But they're mostly spaces where you really can't build. <laughs> um, Pete Neal says, I moved here because I could afford it. And then they became a city to fight against San Diego expansion. Right on. Yeah, that was in the 70s. Well, we incorporated in 1980. I have watched the tidal wave come up and over the hill. Yeah. If you moved here in the 70s, Pete, you've seen a lot of change. I understand that. I moved here in 1994. There's been change. But not a lot. I mean, the business park was a big deal. Um, but frankly, prior to this major construction effort along Poway Road, there hasn't been very much done on Poway Road since I moved here in 1994. been a few isolated things, but not a lot. Um, actually, wait a minute. We didn't move here in '94. I think it might have been '96. Yeah, it was. I think it was 96 we moved here. I got my numbers wrong. Um, Lucas Factor says, I'm just good, but you need to balance. There is no balance, just greed right now. Alan Adams says, says moved to Sabre Springs in 1995. So Alan, you're a local. Right on. You're just over the hill in Scripps Ranch. Oh, excuse me, in Sabre Springs, right down the road, off of Poway Road. Good for you. Welcome to the podcast. Today is the first time I've seen you on the live stream. I appreciate you joining us. Well, Lucas, to your point, I'm good, but you need to balance. There's no balance, just greed right now. Well, who's greedy? You know, certainly not you or me, right? None of us are greedy. It's always the other guy that's greedy, right? We all pursue our happiness. We all pursue our interests. Is that greedy? Yeah, I think it is. Um, So if people, the people that owned property on Poway Road, that was their land. And they wanted to sell it. Is that greed? Or is it just simply that they have an asset and they want to sell it so they can pursue their happiness? I don't condemn them for that. I don't. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's money to be made, of course. Uh, you know, those homes on Poway Road or the townhomes I just read we're going to be now selling in the 700,000s, the models are going to be opening up for the Poway Commons. That's going to be something. That's a hell of a lot of money for a two-story townhome. But in the whole scheme of real estate in San Diego County, particularly here in Poway, it's so hard to say this, but it's almost not that much. Just probably, because Poway is such a desirable place to live. It's a good place to have a family, to raise children. It got good schools. Um, Now Poway's changing. And some people don't like the change. Right now, if you go out my front door, I can hear up on the side of the hill here, they're building a new house. Um, They built three houses up the street from me like about a year, year and a half ago. Maybe it was more like two years ago. Uh, But now there's like a slope and they're moving the earth And I can hear the pile drivers pounding into the dirt right now, all day, today, and then the previous days this week. They're building in my community, too. So it's not just along Poway Road. I mean, we're all feeling it. But, you know, these are different people, and they're all pursuing their happiness. Yuri Bolin says, so many projects are being done because Mayor Voss didn't think he would still be here, but when everything doesn't come in on time... He will have to answer to the voters. Yeah, no doubt that our mayor, Steve Voss, had grand plans. He was expecting to be a supervisor. Boy, did he come close. Was it like one tenth of one percent that he lost? Unbelievable. That was a really close election. I honestly thought he was going to win. Certainly he thought he was going to win. They didn't work out for him. But you know what? Um, even if he was elected, Yuri, he would have been a supervisor that would have included many parts of East County, including Poway. So he would still have been you know, accountable to voters, but just at a kind of at a higher level. Um, yeah, but yeah, so much is being built right now. But like I said, I, I, I remember when I moved here again, I think it was 96 when we moved here. Kind of thought it was 94, no, but I think it is 96. Well, when we moved here, immediately I was always hearing the stories that that they were going to transform Poway Road because it was so worn out and old and haphazard and there was no downtown. And they had these visions of mixed use, of commercial and residential living together in harmony. And in a walkable community and and having really nice restaurants that could attract people from other parts of the city and other communities nearby to come visit Poway. I've been hearing that ever since I moved here. Now they're finally doing it. And people are upset. Um. Again, I, change is hard, and and there's a lot of change going on on Poway Road, and especially now that the sticks are going up on the commons, they're going vertical. Finally, they've been working, you know, down in the dirt, laying the infrastructure. Now they're finally going vertical, and people are going holy, holy guacamole, Batman! Um, there's holy guacamole. There's like apartments that are hanging over El Armando's taco shop. How about being in one of those bedrooms at one in the morning on a Friday night when some people are you know, had a couple of drinks and now they want to get some Mexican food. You're going to be hearing that drive through speaker. That's going to be something. Pete Neal says, except a goodly number of our kids can't afford to live here until their inheritance. Yeah. And maybe even then they can't move here. Yeah. And Poway has changed a lot, right, Pete? I mean, you said that you moved here because you could afford it. Back in the 1970s, Poway was a lot more affordable than it is now but the stature and the um the reputation of the school district at least academically is dramatically improved that has led to a lot of people wanting to move here then you have all the high end communities here and you got you know celebrities and athletes that live in parts of Poway yeah Poway is a desirable place to live and there's very few places to buy i mean these real estate agents they they put a for sale sign up and it, they get multiple bids above the asking price, it's a bidding war, and they end up selling a house like in a matter of a few days or a week. It's unbelievable um, how hot real estate is here. There's so much demand. And what does that do? That just causes prices to go up. So as a property owner, Pete, just like just like we are, we're benefiting from that. We're building a hell of a lot of equity. But yeah, for our, for our children, it's almost impossible to move back in unless they're able to get money from mom and dad. But it's interesting. There's a lot of people that I know that live here in Poway. They're adults. They have children. Their children played sports with my kids, but they grew up in Poway and now they live in Poway today. I would imagine they probably had help from their families because, yeah, I mean, the median home price in Poway, how much is it? It's like, I don't know. It was, I'm I'm guessing it's those townhomes are going in the 700s. The median home price in Poway has got to be at least that. Imagine coming up with 10% or 20% down, you got to have seventy grand or $140,000 for your first down payment. And you're like in your 20s. <laughs> that's, that's almost impossible. Yeah, it's really hard for our children to live here. Alan Adams says, our house was $200,000 in 1995. Zillow has it showing a million dollars now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Good for you, Alan. That's good for you. But that's an example of why it's so hard to move here. The reason your home is worth a million dollars is because so many people are willing to pay a million dollars for it because they want to live in this community. If they don't want to live in Poway, they want to live in Saber Springs, which is a nice community and also part of the same school district. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a hell of a lot of money, but good for you, Alan. You know, you're making some money because they're not building very much. You're actually benefiting from that. Um, Yuri Bolan on the live stream says, change isn't the issue. Altering the landscape to pigeon houses and traffic jams is. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's change. Um, and the la- is the landscape going to change? Well, you're going to have three and four story buildings on Poway Road. You're, it's going to block some people's view. When you're stuck at a traffic light (laughs) waiting and you want to go look at the elegant hills, your view may be blocked. Yeah, that's true. Um, But that's just the nature of change. I'm sure that when in earlier parts of our history, in Poway's history, I'm sure when they were building in the 1980s, homes all around the city. I'm sure there were a lot of old timers that had been in Poway since the 1940s Were saying, darn these people, what the hell are they doing? They're probably saying they're turning our house into, and back then Mira Mesa didn't really exist. They're turning our house into our city into Claremont. (laughs) They probably said something like that. Change is hard. It is. Um, Is there going to be traffic jams? Yeah, there'll be more people on the road. I'm hopeful that they're going to install the same technology on Poway Road that Kevin McNamara is going to put up on Espola, where they synchronize the stoplights so the traffic flows and it's real-time updates. That could really optimize traffic on Poway Road. I hope they do that. There's going to be more people on the road, but I don't think there's going to be as many as you think. I think my gut tells me that traffic to Walmart is probably more impactful than people going in and out of their townhome at the Poway Commons. Because most people aren't all on the road at the same time. I mean, it's going to have an impact, but it's not going to be as much as you think. I mean, go to any neighborhood in Poway and park your car and watch the people coming in and out. It's not as many as you think, but it's going to definitely have an impact on traffic, no doubt about it. Pete Neal says, I used to bowl with two or three of the San Diego Chargers. The Chargers are gone, and now so is the bowling alley. (laughs) You know, I just was reading, I guess, now that we're in the—and can I get confused? Are we in the orange tier and about to enter the red, or are we in the red and about to enter the orange with all of COVID? I read, that they said, oh, the bowling alleys are now going to be open for limited capacity. And I'm like, oh, darn, (laughs) we don't have a bowling alley anymore. Yeah, we don't. Um. I think we all saw the writing on the wall. I mean, well before that Fairfield uh, development went up, that bowling alley was really worn out. It wasn't upgraded. I think the owner of that property was just waiting for the day that he could cash out. Are bowling alleys still a viable business? I wonder. You know, people's hobbies change. Um. Are bowling alleys still? I mean, how many bowling alleys are there? I know there's one in San Marcos. I think there's another one in maybe a Mira Mesa. There aren't that many. If there was a huge demand for bowling alleys, they'd be building more bowling alleys. I don't think there's as much demand. And yeah, the Chargers are gone too. That's something. I I gave up on the NFL when the Chargers moved out of town. Um, But I'm glad taxpayers didn't build a stadium for them. I don't think that's proper. Alan Adams says, until you hit I-15. Pete kneeled on the live stream. B- bowling against Dennis McKnight was tough. He would toss the ball and it would land 18 inches in front of the pins. Wow. Yeah, he was uh, an offensive lineman for the Chargers, right? In fact, didn't he own the car wash at one point? The car wash there um, kind of across the street from where the outpost is? I think he did. Um, Yeah, there's been a lot of chargers that have lived in Poway. You know, Philip Rivers used to live here. LaDainian Tomlinson used to live here in Poway. Um, We could go down the list. There's, in in fact, one of them, God, what was the story? He lived in Poway. It's kind of like in the little nook of Poway, kind of, you know, at the intersection of Pomerado and Scripps Poway Parkway. There's a shopping center there and kind of behind that shopping center to the south of that shopping center up on a hill, there's a development there. And I think that's technically part of Poway. And there was a charger that lived there. And he either, I can't remember, I remember he was shot. It was a big controversy. i remember trying to remember his name and and did he survive or not? I don't remember the detail, but there's a lot of chargers that have lived here in Poway. Yuri Bolin says, he he was, he told me in 2018, he was waiting for the right price at the right time. Yeah. So you're talking about the owner of the bowling alley and the, and, uh, and that same owner owned the strip mall with the, with the um, thrift stores, right? Yeah, of course that guy is just waiting. That's why the thrift store mall really wasn't kept up. That's why the bowling alley wasn't really kept up. He saw the writing on the wall because Poway had been talking, right? Since the You said you were talking to him in 2018. When I moved here in 96, they were talking about transforming Poway Road. And that guy figured he was sitting on a plot of land that was going to, at some point, someone was going to pay him pretty good money for it. So yeah, he probably was waiting for the right time. And now is the right time. I know I was just talking online with some of our friends in one of the Facebook groups in Poway about what's going to happen to the thrift stores. And right now, the thrift stores can't move because they're not zoned. There's a special zoning just for thrift stores that prevents them from moving into other locations along Poway Road. That's interesting. A lot of love for the thrift stores. Yuri, I know you're a big fan of the thrift stores. But I'm hoping that the Poway City Council will change the zoning laws so the thrift stores can find a place to, to move to but they're the ones that are getting the, you know, getting the boot from the sale of that property. So is, um, so is Renee's. Where are they going to land? I heard some people saying that she was, they were going to move someplace, maybe Escondido. Hopefully they find a place. Wow. Amazing. The things we talk about on this podcast, and thanks for everyone for listening and watching. Start off talking about Major League Baseball and about the voting laws in Georgia changing. And we started talking about Coca-Cola and UPS and Delta Airlines and corporate integrity. That's what I was really into. Then we suddenly we're starting to talk about China and free trade and capitalism. And now we're talking about Poway Road and development and the history of Poway and our city's motto. And we're even including Sabre Springs in the discussion. And I'm happy for that. I like co- talking about other other communities around Poway. I don't want to do this. have this to be all Poway. So good on you, Alan, for joining us. I appreciate that. Um, what about the taco shop? The development is going around it. Yeah, it's like one of those cases of, um, that you see in New York City where they, they try to buy the land, but there's always some holdout that stand in the little house and they build around it. I was shocked that the owner of the property of the taco shop, El Armando's, didn't sell. My guess is they might be trying to negotiate to sell now because they can see what's happening. The other argument might be, wow, look at all these new customers that are moving in right next door. (laughs) They might be thinking they're going to do better from it. But it is kind of silly, isn't it? A drive-through with a loudspeaker and there's going to be bedrooms like right outside that. That that doesn't seem to fit. The same thing is true with, um, is it, Evans Tire. I mean, some, isn't there like an auto shop that's going to be potentially impacted by the development at Fairfield? I remember there was another case. There's another kind of piece of property that people didn't want to sell it, and it's going to exist there. I think at some point, some of those people are just going to hit the eject button. But it is kind of funny seeing that development go up around that taco shop. It's kind of absurd and it's no wonder people take pictures of it and post it on Facebook. It, there's a thread on that I think is on Poway Neighbors. It's gotten tons of responses. But yeah, the sticks are going up and now people are saying, "Uh-oh. Now we got two story or is it three story there? I don't remember." Now suddenly people are re- they're they're seeing what the vision of all this is going to be. Now, I am an optimist. I have a My instinct tells me that when they build this and it's done, it's not going to be nearly as bad as some people think. It's possible this could turn out really good. Where we're going to have an upgraded Poway Road. We're going to have new businesses on Poway Road, hopefully mom and pop shops, as well as maybe some chains. I don't know who's going to move in. Have a more walkable community, maybe a little more integration there with with the community park. I think it's good. I think it could turn out good if they, pri- if they do it right, especially if they put in that real-time traffic management technology into the light signals on Poway Road. Hopefully, the developers there are talking to Kevin McNamara and his partner that's going to be doing that transportation upgrade on a spool. To me, that's exciting. I, I always like it when technology saves the day. And I think there's a chance for that to happen on Poway Road, but right now Poway Road is a disaster. It's a mess. There's construction. A lot of times the, the the lanes are closed off, and you can't drive, and it's messy and it's dusty, and and the outpost is you know never seems to be finished. Yeah, Poway Road's a mess right now. It really is. But when the construction is done, it'll be less messy. We just got to get there now. Apparently, yeah, they're going to start taking deposits at Poway Commons, I think later this month. And I think in June, there'll be models that people can walk in. That'll be something. Uh, Pete Neal says, Big O Tire Store is being built around. Yeah, that's the one. It wasn't Evans Tires. It was Big O. Uh, Big O is the one that's going to be next to the bowling alley, right? And so they're going to, Big O is going to stay there. And they're going to build housing around it. I mean, usually you go to a tire shop. those That's loud <laughs> and, and the, because they have those hydraulic um, you know, wrenches that take the lug nuts off of the cars. I mean, duh, 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 duh. it's really loud. I don't. Know, again, to me, I wonder if Big O is finally going to say, let's get out of here. Maybe when their lease is up, maybe they get out or maybe they're pushed out because of the, the complaints from the neighbors. I don't know how that's going to work out. Now, I'll I'll make a a plug here for a moment. Um, I like to go to Discount Tire and Poway. They have been great to me. I've never done business with Big O or Evans. I have no beef with them. I'll tell you what, Discount Tire and Poway, I mean, I've had multiple times, I've had a slow leak on my car, on one of my tires. I bring in a Discount Tire, they fix it for free. They'll take the tire off. They find the, the leak. They plug the leak. I don't know how exactly they do it. And then I'm back on the road for free. And when it comes time for me to get new tires, you know where I'm going? (laughs) To discount tire. It's a great great marketing initiative to build loyalty with customers to offer that free service because it probably takes them very little effort to do it. They work it in, in their schedule. Sometimes you got to wait. Like one time, I think I had to wait a couple hours. But boy, is that a great way to build brand loyalty. Um, And Pete Neal says, yay, discount. Um, Alan Adamson says, discount is the best. Yeah, they're great. They do a really good job. They also, they're a national brand, right? It feels like a local Poway thing. But I remember they they sponsor, um, Pete, forgive me for saying this. They sponsor one of the NASCAR cars, right? One of them is a discount tire car. Um and Pete, you and I, you shared those stories with me about discount tire in St. Louis taking care of you. Or was it Kansas City? It was one of those two. I think it was St. Louis that you told me that story. And yeah, they're terrific. Yeah, they're they're that way across the country. Yuri Bolan on the live stream. In regards to the outpost, Alaska had the bridge to nowhere and Poway has the underground parking for no one. <laughs> yeah. The bridge to nowhere. That's a piece of infrastructure that is something. Are they going to finish the outpost? I mean, they've got to finish it, right? They can't give up. But, you know, I remember Pete and I we sat down, I think it was the very first podcast Pete that you sat down with me. We're on episode number 222 today. The Karen Valentine Room 22, Room 222. But I think it was episode 3. You were my first guest. And I think you talked about the outposts and you said, they don't know where the water table is and they're going to dig and they're going to find water. I guarantee it. And boy, were you right. You were absolutely right. And so, yeah, Yuri, it's the underground parking for no one. I I think at some point they're going to fix it, but it's going to probably cost them a hell of a lot of money. I don't know how they're going to solve it. I don't know. Um, Alan Adamson says, two weeks ago, they replaced a pothole- um, a pothole destroyed tire for $25. Good for you. So you ran through a pothole that always sucks. And the question, where was the pothole? My bet is it wasn't in Poway. My bet is, is that it was somewhere in San Diego. I sometimes will see potholes when I'm on Ted Williams Parkway when I'm driving into town. Um, but yeah, good for, good for you, Alan, and good for discount tire. I mean, you had it. You know, unfortunate incident, damaged the tire. Sometimes hitting a pothole, man, that could damage your suspension, your alignment. It might put, you know, it might damage your rim. I mean, that could be serious. Yeah, Pete Neal says Kansas City. Okay, oh, excuse me. It was Kansas City, not St. Louis. So Kansas City on the western end of Missouri. You, I remember you told me that story. That was a great story. Alan says on Poway Road between I-15 and Sabre Springs Parkway. So yeah, it was in San Diego. The pothole was in San Diego. You know, say what you will about you know, about Poway and the concrete jungle that's being created uh cuz I know Yuri is a is a is a diligent critic of our city council. And good on you for being having integrity. That's what this podcast is about. It's about integrity. But Poway has good roads. I mean, as politicians, they're smart. They keep the roads generally pretty good. Um, And when you leave Poway, you notice it pretty quickly. Um, And yeah, there's rarely potholes I've ever experienced in Poway. When I usually do, they're somewhere else. And it's usually in San Diego. Yuri says Poway irrigation was the last tenant. That should have been a clue. Poway Irrigation, I remember, they were in that area. It was next door to the old building where the printing press used to be for the Poway Chieftain. It was it Pomerado Publishing. Or I don't remember what it was called. And Poway Irrigation, I remember, sold all kinds of sprinkler heads and you know that kind of irrigation supply. And yeah, they were the last tenant there. How irrigation probably had a little bit better understanding of where the water table was, right? And what level the water was at. But yeah, that should have been a clue. But we're having fun on the podcast on a Friday, going an hour and a half. I thought that I thought this was going to turn out to be a really short one, but we're having some fun. I enjoy the discussion. That's what this is all about. It's a community forum, right? Talk about issues in our our community, talk about things that are important to us. I'll, I'll stay online as long as you guys stay online. I'm not in a rush to go anywhere. I got work to do, but I'm not in a rush to go do it. Um, I'll, I'll spend some time with you all and we'll chat. I appreciate that. But yeah, a lot going on in our, in, our, in our city and the country. That is not really much of a country, is it? Not really. I mean, there's parts of Poway that are country. In fact, I remember one time I was driving up a spolo road And I remember I was on the phone and I wanted to pull over to finish my phone call because I wanted to really give this the attention it deserved. And I was on the road and I was going up the hill, like from Twin Peaks towards Poway High. And I wasn't quite yet to High Valley. I was a little earlier and I took a right turn and I went back into this little cul-de-sac and parked my car and... I was amazed. There was like this big horse stables and a big kind of open-ended pavilion for horses back there. I was like, wow, this is a part of Poway I'd never seen before. So yeah, there's definitely some sections of the town that are still country, but they're less and less. Pete Neal on the live stream says, tell us about your bravery with the one shot. What are you talking about, Pete? I'm not sure. Not sure what you're talking about there, Pete. I don't know. If you're talking to me, you're talking to Yuri. What's going on here? Maybe you're talking to Alan on the live stream. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, all good. You know what? It's Friday. Guess what? Padres are playing Texas Rangers tonight at five. Last time they went to Texas, man, they lit it up and they got on a hot streak and and their whole season turned around. I'm really looking forward to this season, this series, this weekend. I'm going to watch the game. It'll start in an hour and a half. Trent Grisham will start in center field. And the Padres, I think, are hopefully going to really start to light a fire. Oh, my vaccine. Tell me, tell me about your bravery with the one shot, with the vaccine. So, I, yeah, I shared a little bit about this when we kicked off the podcast, but I think it was before we had many viewers on. I got my vaccine on Tuesday. In fact, I was Monday morning I got um, I heard on the news that Cal Fire was gonna be offering vaccine shots and they had the Johnson and Johnson shot. I was like, oh cool. Now I was scheduled to go into Kaiser Permanente on April twentieth, which is my my healthcare provider. And I was always thinking, God, that's that's three weeks from now, right? I, I wanna get it right away. And so when I I heard the story on the news about Cal Fire, I looked it up. And CAL FIRE was offering it mostly for people in East County, but it was available to anyone. And so I found out they were doing it in Pine Valley. So on Monday, I got on, on the computer, I found the website, I made a reservation for Tuesday at 10. So I booked my appointment in just 24 hours. I went out there on Tuesday morning. It was a really nice drive. It's not that far. I only had to go about, I don't know, 15 or so miles east of Alpine, east of Viejas and I got to Pine Valley. That's a nice little town there. I remember I've been there before. There's like a little old fashioned hamburger shop there. Um, And it's just right down the road. Cal Fire has a, uh, you know, has their own firehouse there. And they have like a footprint, a couple of buildings. And I had to wait in line. Um, And they checked my ID and they did a uh, temperature check. Verified my appointment, and I continued on my line. Talked to some people. They gave me the vaccination card, and they kind of signed most of it. And then I went. and I was able to sit down with a, you know, a, a nurse, a healthcare person, and he gave me the vaccine. And then one of the Cal Fire guys, one of the firefighters, was next to him on the laptop, and he was entering my information into the database. Then I had to walk out of the building. It was like in the garage where they usually keep their fire trucks is where they were given the shots. Then I gave my card to the CAL FIRE people and they held it. So while I had to sit and wait for 15 minutes to make sure there was no reaction, then after 15 minutes, they called my name. I picked up my card and I was on my way. I was in and out of there in well under an hour. And I was fine. Uh, All day Tuesday, I felt really good. And then around nine o'clock at night, I started getting really restless. I was extra tired and I went to bed. And I woke up at one in the morning to, you know, make a trip to the bathroom. And I'll tell you what, I I felt like I was drunk. I I was like, I was disoriented. The room was like moving. It was weird. But I took care of business, went back to sleep, I woke up the next morning and I was fine. On Wednesday, I was fine. I was like, okay, this is good, man. I'm out of the woods. And I was getting ready for the podcast. And I did the podcast Wednesday at two, because I always do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock. And I'm actually here, like plugging in my computer, getting organized. It's like 1.30, 1.45. And all of a sudden, I'm like kind of feeling lightheaded. Um, I was feeling kind of woozy, but I kind of got my act together and I powered through the podcast Wednesday at two. And then afterwards, I was just done for the day. Um, And so I just chilled out and, um, you know, I was achy. I was lightheaded. I had a headache um, and I just stopped, um, stopped for the day. And then I went to sleep. Was it Wednesday night? That Thursday, all day yesterday, I was achy and sore. I was um, tired. But you know what? That's that's a good thing. It's a good thing because that's your body fighting against this intruder and amassing an army and building up the antibodies so it can fight the real virus when it comes. And so today is Friday. I feel completely normal. And, And granted, those one or two days, I'm probably making it sound overly dramatic. It really wasn't that bad. My wife had the Moderna. And after her second shot, that next day, she felt terrible. I wasn't anywhere near that. It was inconvenient, and and but it wasn't that big of a deal. Alan Adamson says, I got the J- J&J shot yesterday. Okay, right on. So maybe you'll feel a similar experience. I didn't feel anything the day you got it. I mean, last night, how did you sleep? Today, how do you feel, Alan? Now... I know some people are saying, I don't want to get the vaccine because you don't feel good the next day. That's a crazy, crazy thing. Vaccine is science. Think about it. Vaccines are just remarkable technology, isn't it? How someone could, first of all, come up with the idea to say, hey, to get rid of, I think I was reading about it, cowpox was the first one. To get rid of cowpox, we're going to take the cowpox and we're going to put it in your body and then that's going to cure you. I mean that's like uh non-intuitive. It's it's counterintuitive. And they figured it out. And then the technology has just gotten so much better. I mean this vaccine. They had the genome mapped in January of 2020. The the Chinese had identified the COVID virus and uh, what is I can't remember the full name of the virus. They mapped the genome in in January. And in a matter of a day or two, the scientists figured out what the what the vaccine needs to be. They kind of figured out the strategy. They, they figured out they hadn't created the virus, but they knew how to do it. In January of 2020, this is back when Trump was still denying the virus. Then they started working on it and, and coming up with the plan. And I think in Q2, of 2020, May or June, they actually had virus. Uh, excuse me, they had vaccines, but they couldn't release them to the public because they had to go through all the FDA approval cycles, approval processes. So we didn't really get the the vaccine until what was it? December of 2020, and then a lot of the older folks were getting it in January and February, and healthcare workers, and now, you know, people like Alan and I are getting it now in April. But to me, vaccine technology in and of itself is remarkable. It's really amazing that they can figure out how to prevent these kinds of diseases. It's no wonder that the lifespan of humans now, what is it? It's around 80. In the 80s, women typically live longer than men. But gosh, 100 years ago, what was the life expectancy? Maybe 150 years ago was probably what, like 40 years old. Amazing, Alan said he got the J and J shot yesterday. He got it at noon and felt a, a bit yucky at eight, and felt great this morning. Okay, so you're on the same track as me. I felt yucky that night. The next day, I felt really good, but then in the afternoon, which for you would be today in the afternoon, I started to feel lightheaded and achy. And then the following day, I was definitely very achy. So I'm guessing if you follow the same pattern, we're we're all different. But you might have a little bit of a rough patch, a little bit of a bumpy road, but it's not that bad. And then but the the day after that, I mean, you'll be free and clear. Um, Pete Neal says, bringing this back around, I've had both of mine, Pfizer. I wanted Moderna because they were a customer and Pfizer was not, but oh, well, so much for my... Corporate integrity, (laughs) your brand loyalty, too, right? Um, Yeah, sometimes it's just a roll of the dice, right? Um, Whoever happens to be your healthcare provider or wherever you get, I mean, they get one of these batches of viruses. It's it's not like you can go into the grocery store and pick the one off the shelf that you want. Um, The Pfizer one, I think you only had to wait, what, three weeks in between? But Moderna, you have to wait four weeks. Um, So, That's probably better, right? Three weeks in between, you can get it over with quicker. Um, But yeah, it would have been nice to be able to take care of your customer. Right on. I'm with you there, Pete. I always try to do business with my customers as much as I can. Definitely. Um, So yeah, so I I got my, I got my, uh, my vaccine. Sometimes I always say virus instead of vaccine. They're both V words. I got my vaccine on Tuesday and today I feel great. Still a little sore in the arm. I remember I was leaning against the wall. I could feel it. But um, yeah, I feel great. I encourage everyone to go get a vaccine, man. Especially now, they're just making them so much more widely available. There's probably going to be very few holdouts, and they're going to be the ones that sort of are anti-vaxxers. If you're not an anti-vaxxer, there's really no reason not to get the vaccine. And frankly, if you are an anti-vaxxer, you should get the vaccine (laughs) because it's going to it's going to make your life better. It'll make you healthier and less susceptible. And, you know, now all these variants are coming up. Hopefully the, the vaccines are going to cover those variants. I think they don't really know yet. I think we're going to find out. Pat Johnson on the live stream joining us. I have had both shots of Pfizer, a little tired after the second shot. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just like, um, you know, it's like they're injecting part of the virus, or some version of it into our body. And it's like our natural body is reacting to it, reacting to this invader and mobilizing to kind of, to try to kill it. Just like we feel crappy when we have the flu, right? It, but it's all, this is a, to a much lower degree. So this vaccine is very safe. I mean, based off everything I've read and certainly everything I've experienced. So hopefully there's, there aren't too many holdouts, you know, some people might have a medical reason to hold out. Maybe they get virus in uh, they get vaccine injuries, they have immune compromise situation. There's gonna be some of those, but hopefully those are just the exception. Okay. Let's wrap up this bad boy. It's an hour and forty five minutes on a Friday. We got things to do, people to see, fun to enjoy. Padre game starts at five, a pregame show at about 4.15, 4.30. I got some closing quotes. I always have closing quotes on my solo podcasts. The first one is from Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, the owner of Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway, one of the richest men in the richest people in the United States, if not the world. Um, one of those so-called evil billionaires, <laughs> but the one that our leftist friends, our progressive friends generally don't hate on very much. Um, Warren Buffett says, I, in looking for people to hire, you look for three qualities, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if they don't have the first, the other two will kill you. <laughs> so if they don't have integrity, then their intelligence and their energy will kill you. So integrity, a tremendously desirable trait in employees, especially in leaders, in leaders that demonstrate integrity for their corporation and stand up for their values and stand up for their principles. And here's another one from Stephen Covey, another one of our, he is a very famous business author. And I mean, I should know Stephen Covey's biography. Was he the guy that did the one of the, the organizers, I can't remember, but Stephen Covey, I mean, he's had a ton of business books. Moral authority comes from following universal and timeless principles like honesty, integrity, and treating people with respect. Yeah. So that's the beauty of integrity is that and why it's so admired is because you're true. you're being true to your values, true to your principles, you're not fake. People hate fakers. That's why people kind of bag on the virtue signalers, right? The virtue signalers are trying to show integrity, but they're just it's show. It's not for real. But the test of integrity is when there is strong opposition, big headwinds against you, people trying to drag you down. But if you still stand by the principle, boy, does that give me such great respect. That's why I respect Bernie Sanders, but I disagree with so many of his policies. That dude has not changed for 40 or 50 years. He is true. He is true to himself and he is true to his people that he represents. I I give that guy huge credibility even though I disagree with them. But when you find someone that has integrity, boy, are they good people to have as a member of your team, as an employee, as a leader in a business, as a friend, and as a family member. I try to have integrity, but I'll tell you what, I fail all the time. I fail to live up to my own values. And sometimes it's all internal, It's not external, not like what I tell the world who I am and I fail to live up to that. And I've done that. I've failed at that level. But a lot of times I fail with my own integrity with myself. I say that I want to live a better life. I want to take care of my body, you know, but then I put on weight, you know, I, I will fail to live up to the principles that I claim to believe in, and I will fail myself. And that can be very difficult. It's very hard. Integrity is a very, very difficult thing to fulfill. Because that's the whole point, is that it's hard to fulfill when it gets really, when the going gets rough, or how does I say, when the going gets rough, the when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, it's, it's hard to have integrity. Cuz it's so easy to take the easy way out. It's so easy to make an excuse or blame someone else. It's so easy to kind of back off of your principles. But when people demonstrate integrity, you're like, "Man, right on." Even if they don't even if they are supporting a value or a principle you disagree with, that's, again, why I, I, I like it when these Hollywood guys are getting their Oscar and they're up there on the stage and they're holding their Oscar and they're talking about, I don't know, name your political issue. And a lot of times I agree with them and other times I disagree with them. But I'm like, good for you. And good for you, LeBron James, for speaking out on these issues. Good for you, Charles Barkley. We did a podcast about Charles Barkley on, when was that? Monday. Good for you, Charles Barkley. Good on you, Sir Charles. Chuck love that. Um I love seeing that in people that I know and respect. Pat Johnson, let me tell you a story, Pat. Pat, you demonstrated integrity for me. When Pat was the president of Poway National Little League and I was on the board and then uh and Pat, you did a great job as president of the Little League. And then you know, your term was over and then I ran for president and, and I was the president the following year. And I remember I had a difficult situation and I remember I reached out to you and you gave me really good advice. You, and you urged me to stand up for doing what was right. And I did, I followed your advice, but your integrity inspired me to have integrity. And that made a big difference. I thank you for that, Pat. That's a big deal. I will always remember that. A couple more comments. Well, actually, a lot of comments have been streaming in here. Yuri Bolin, another great show, my friend. Thank you, Yuri. And and you're my friend too, Yuri. Thank you for always being here on the podcast. I appreciate it. Again, when when you're running for office in 2022, man, you're going to come in here. We're going to sit down. We'll all be vaccinated I mean, we're real close to having guests back in the podcast. And boy, well, better conversations. We have more people here present. Um, Pat Johnson says, five effective traits of a great leader and the one minute manager. Yeah, the one minute manager. That's the one I remember from him. He's done a bunch of other books. Stephen Covey. Alan Adams says, not really true. His immigration stance has totally changed. Bernie Bernie has generally been very anti-trade and anti-immigrant. I mean, that's the way he's usually always been, because he's always trying to protect the American worker from competition, from competition of companies overseas importing their products. Bernie and Trump, frankly, have very similar trade policies. They both want high tariffs on Asia, on China. But Bernie always had been very anti-immigration, or not maybe anti, but wasn't really big on immigration. He didn't want to encourage it. But maybe he shifted a little bit on that. Maybe he's a little more open to it because of the political dynamic. But still, compared to most politicians, Bernie is extremely, what's the right word? Integral? That's not the right word. But he demonstrates integrity at a far higher degree than most politicians. Even though I disagree with 85% of what he talks about. Um, but no politician is perfect. They're all flawed. Again, that's the one rule to remember. I was a victim of this. Never fall in love with a politician because they always will disappoint you. And it's true. Um, Never fall in love with them. Pat Johnson says, seven, not five, LOL. Okay, the seven effective traits of a great leader. Um, Alan Adams says he used to be a border hawk, and now he is for open borders. Well, My guess is he's not for open borders. I mean, open borders is just no border. Anyone can come and go. I don't think he's for that. But he might be for allowing more immigrants because that's more politically fashionable for liberals these days. Um, Yeah. Uh, But yeah, you're right. He was traditionally a border hawk because he was always trying to protect American workers from competition often to the detriment of America. I think immigration is an extremely important thing. I'm, a, I'm, a, frankly, philosophically, I'm for open borders. I think people should be able to move. We have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We should be able to travel. Companies should be able to hire who they want. I should be able to travel between... San Diego and Tijuana, the same way I travel from Poway to Ramona. I believe that. Now, politically, I know that's not feasible. That's unrealistic. Politically, I get it. Um, So politically, I'm always for the point of make legal immigration, legal immigration, make it easier, faster, cheaper. If we did that, there'd be less illegals. We'd have more people that were documented. And part of the system, paying taxes, not in the underground, in the shadows. I mean, America welcomed immigrants from the time of the Civil War to World War I. Immigrants from all over the world flocked to America. And we're better off for it. We're so much better off for it. I'm a big believer in immigration. I think it's great. Uh, Pete Neal says, nice chat uh, today, John. Thank you. Um, Now I will go on what kind of a day Chauvin and Gates had today. (laughs) I I hope they find Chauvin guilty. God, if they don't, it's going to be hell will break loose. But regardless of that, he rightfully murdered George Floyd. So Derek Chauvin needs to be found guilty and uh, hopefully the process will continue. And yeah, Gates, oh my God, what a circus that's turning out to be. Um, Alan Adams says, "says I used to be on the Carmel Mountain Ranch Little League board. Good on you. Um, I remember, what was her name? Esther. I can't remember her last name. She was president of Carmel Mountain Ranch Little League. She's a really, really good person. Uh, Pat Johnson says, thanks, John. Yeah, we're talking about the integrity and that lesson that I learned from you. Thank you. And Alan Adamson says, yes, um, I guess we're talking, that's a, probably a follow-up on our Bernie discussion. Okay, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for watching. This is the John Raleigh Project. It's episode number 222. I'll be back at you Monday at two o'clock and have a great weekend, friends. Bye-bye.